Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tacona Morning Drive podcast. This episode I sit down with Richard Tuttle of, or Tuttle's, kind of obvious really. Uh, Richard was very kind enough to uh, to sit with me for an hour. We did have a little bit of a break in the middle as, well, we had to go and shake down a car before it went to a customer's and that opportunity doesn't come up very often unless you are Mr. Richard Tuttle. So uh, there's a small gap in the middle. I'll put a little bit of a filler to go, we had a bit of a gap, and then it will carry you back on again. But it was an absolute pleasure to sit and chat with Richard, and he was very genuine and very open, and we had a really good conversation. So I really do think this is one of the, one of the, the highlight episodes to, uh, to go through. Um, not that any of the others aren't great, but it's not often that someone like me would get to sit with kind of one of the most recognisable Porsche builders in the world, basically. So with that, on with the podcast. Right, I've clicked record now, and that inherently just means that anything we say will be recorded. Perfect. That doesn't mean anything changes in terms of what's going to happen. No, absolutely. Um, so as I say, it's casual chit-chat. I only have one question, that is, who are you and what do you do? And that's Jeez. it, go. <laughs> Jeez, here's a question. Uh, I'm, I'm Richard Tuthill, uh, and uh, I charge around either Wardington or anywhere in the world uh, with Porsche 911s of all, all sorts. There we go. Right, podcast done. Thank you very much. <laughs> Easy. 30 seconds, job Easy. done. Um, so we're sat in your very lovely premises right now. We're technically sat in the gym, which I don't have one in my office, so we're doing uh, Well, right. I built this place, and one of the things was to make it a really great place to come to work. Amazing. Um, we're competing with Merck F1, ProDrive, you name it. Yeah, some great companies around here. And one of the nice things is that we should all be proud of where we work. We should all want to come to work in a nice environment. You're doing a good job. It's a very lovely place to be. Great, great acoustics in this building as well. I know. We've not necessarily picked the gym for that. It's just a happy coincidence <laughs> that it's quite an, a good room for minimal like, reverberations. And yeah. the big glass door overlooking the workshop isn't letting too much noise through. Yet. The problem is, it is a big glass door. So I can sit and look at all of these lovely Porsches and get easily distracted by all the amazing things that you guys create. Um, so... Bring me up to speed on Tuttle Porsche and where it started and how it got to where it is now. Very briefly. Yeah. If you look out of the right-hand window, there's a little bungalow. Yep. That was where I was born. Uh, Dad gone moved far here. away then. Literally haven't moved. Um, <laughs> Dad lived here from when he was 17. Um, and you can just see there's a flat roof there as well. That's Dad's first workshop. Right. So now you can see the evolution. Started there. And now we're here. VW Beetles. The old 356. Yeah. Um, he did London, Sydney, and I think 77 in a Beetle. He used to drive all around the world uh, in VWs, camper right. vans. Uh, did all sorts of crazy stuff, which we won't go into. And here we are. So it's just a, and it, very much like the 911. I was going to draw I've never said that before. That's quite cool. <laughs> just evolution over time. Yeah. So we started with Beetles, and then they got a bit flatter and a bit longer, yeah. and now we've got 911s. Yeah, and the, you know, current 992 is a bit wider, it's a bit longer, it's a bit I was, smarter. I was behind a 992 the other day in my Renault 5, and I have never... Hold on a minute, Renault 5? Yes. I quite like a Renault 5. It's a 1.1 TL 5-door. Okay. It's not the turbo, it's not a T2. Still like a Renault 5? I should have brought it, it didn't want to start the other day, so I didn't want to chance it, because I've had other places to go before here. So. It's a French car. Yeah, and... It wouldn't start when I needed it to start the most. Like I'd been out all day in my GT86 and I got back home and I thought I could smell oil and I opened the bonnet and there was like black, shiny at the bottom of the catch tray underneath the engine. I was like, that's definitely oil. It's got an oil leak. I can't drive this tomorrow. I'll get the Renault out. And it turns out it wasn't. It was just mud. It had been raining <laughs> and it was just shiny mud. Um, which, you're, not, you're not a mechanic then? Well, I'm not an actual mechanic. <laughs> But I was at about 11 o'clock at night. I'd been on the road all day from about 8 o'clock in the morning. So I was tired and exhausted and I'd done a lot of stuff. And I'd just spent two hours driving in the rain back from Hertfordshire. 
So when I opened it and I just saw shiny black, I was like, well, it's oil. And why did you open it? Is, that, is this like a... Open a the bonnet. Thing? Yeah, why? Just Because I could smell. I, okay. I thought I could smell burning oil. Got it. No, good to say. I'm impressed. Well, the, the car hypochondriac in me was like, well, there's probably something wrong with this. So I thought I'd look and immediately was expecting oil leak. So my brain then saw oil leak, even though it wasn't. But it was dark. It was dark. Yeah. yeah I had my phone torch. Yeah, don't so I was like, right, I'll jump in the Renault, I'll swap the cars around on the drive and take the Renault tomorrow. And just spent 10 minutes trying to crank it and nothing happening. And then I was too tired to investigate further. So I left it be. But that little car cost me 500 quid. So That's I can't a really lot expect. Of fun. Yeah, and I can't expect more quid. from that. Um, um, no, well, um, uh, the French in that period, lightweight. Yeah. Front wheel drive. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. It's a great car, and the reason I bought it was because in Madrid, in 2020, there was a big snowfall in, like, November. And this video came out of, like, a little Dacia Duster 4x4 <laughs> getting stuck in the snow, and then a Renault 4 just charging straight past, like it wasn't even uh, there. I think I might have seen it. Could I have seen that? Yeah, yeah. I saw it on Facebook or something yeah, like yeah. that. So I saw that, I was like, I'd love a little old French runaround. Like, I had an old Mini as my first car, so I, I appreciate a little cheap classic. Yeah. And now Minis aren't little cheap classics, so I had to go Nothing elsewhere. Is. And I found this Renault, it was the cheapest in the country with an MOT, like the cheapest classic in the country with an MOT, 500 quid in Sudbury. So I turned up and I said, if it runs, I'll buy it. And got it started and it had the lumpiest idle ever, but it, it worked. So I got it home, didn't tell my other half, turned up with this Renault. And uh, yeah, it's not snowed since I got it. So I'm really disappointed. <laughs> so I was going to drive it in the snow, yeah, that's the whole point. It, yeah, I think it was probably... Good justification for owning a Renault, but I think the snow thing might be a bit of a stretch too far. Yeah, but it'd be a lot of fun, right? You've got some tyres for it? It's got fresh tyres. The tyres that were on it were from 1997, but it's not got winter tyres on it. It's just whatever tyres were... All right, I think you... What size wheels are they? Not 15-inch. They must be little 13s. 13s, I think. We'll go and have a rummage in the container, see if we can find some studded tyres, because then you really will make progress. That would be amazing. I suspect it hasn't got a diff either, so that whole Renault thing going uphill in the snow, I don't want to... I think it was probably an over-exuberant Spaniard just hooning a Renault 4 at full chat everywhere. Well, I'm not sure I can say this, but I don't want to piss on your chips, but I'm not sure sure it would be that successful. And if it isn't, by the way, go backwards. We might be much more efficient backwards. (laughs) It'd be effective like driving a uh, forklift truck, though, with the rear steering. Or a VW Beetle. Yeah, but the steering is at the back, yeah. is it? <laughs> Everyone loves a forklift. Um, but to get back <laughs> off the topic of me and my cheap, crap French car that didn't want to start, um, I will have to. I only live half an hour away from here. I'll have to bring it around one day. Do. Um, how did the safari stuff kind of come about? Is that off the back of taking the Beatles all over the place and getting them into interesting situations? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, safari has become a headline event for us. It's probably... It's what we're most famous for, I expect. Yeah. Um, Dad, again, he did all this sort of, uh, what would you call it, endurance-type road trip stuff when he was younger. Um, and then d- did London, Sydney. And then eventually, having, having campaigned at escorts and all sorts of things very successfully, um, RAC rallies and, and all of that good stuff, I think he was the... He finished. He was the highest privateer ever That's at that point, cool. 12th overall in the ROC rally, which was in a day where you could take an escort and you could compete with the just an escort, uh, right? pro- pro- proper proper escort, compete with works drivers. So ultimately, somehow he ended up doing safari in 1981 in a Saab. Right, as you do. So um, yeah, which was an absolute shocker. I think they turned up in Nairobi and the car was a body shell, and it was a week before the rally or something. Anyway, I remember it. We, we went out. Um, as a family, I remember, still can taste the pineapple juice that, that we drank by the side of the pool in Nairobi Hotel. They retired from the rally early on. We had a holiday. Um, and then Mike Kirkland uh, reintroduced the safari as a classic rally in 2003. OK. We, we ran a couple of cars. In fact, I co-drove for a chap called Stuart Rolton one. We finished third overall. Um, an, an amazing experience, an awful experience at the same time, because sitting next to someone is not my chosen... Mine needed a terrible passenger. My chosen uh, <clears throat> profession, but Stuart was a really good friend and we had a great result. So anyway, from, from that point on, every two years, the safari has become more and more and more. Because there's the, the, is that, the green one over there, is that the one from that picture of it diving into the mud, going over, that was on the cover the of... The green um, and stripy one, yes it is, yeah, it's exactly yeah. that car. Because that was on the cover um, of 
uh, was it PCM? Was um, it them that got that put that on the cover? Yes. PMC product. Look, I've got an awful memory, but it's it's on my desk. Right. That so picture you can always find out. But um, yeah, so that's 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 having a reprep. Um, so uh, it's it's just. Uh, I was explaining it to someone yesterday, I had lunch with someone yesterday, who said, can I come and do the rally in 2025? So 23 is the next one. We're, if we're ever fully subscribed, we're fully subscribed, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, and the question is, why, why do we all love it so much? And it's difficult to answer, because we do lots of amazing rallies, but something very special. There's something very special about Kenya, Tanzania, the people, the smells, the colours. The, um, that's amazing. Do you think that kind of stems from that experience back in 81 where you as a kid were there and there was a, a big adventure connected? Or? I, think it's, I think inevitably it would have left, a, you know, would have left an impression yeah. um, on me. Um, and there have been times in the last... I mean, if it, it would, okay, it would be 20 years we've been going again every two years. And there have been times where I have fallen out of love with the rally, mm. momentarily I might add. Well, you're back at it. So. <laughs> and you do need a couple of years to get over it, so it can't be an annual event because it's, it's a big mission. But the last two events, and particularly the last one, uh, you know, after lockdown, where everyone just was really up for a road trip. Yeah. It was just brilliant. Brilliant customers. Great event. Just, and you get off the plane there, and as soon as you feel that little bit of heat and you smell... This sounds awful, but as soon as you smell Nairobi Airport, which is a weird thing to say, <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, we're, we're back in Africa. Yeah. And um, I've always said we're, we're um, very fortunate. Um, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and we experience it every, every two years. years. Yeah. Um, and also, we will see things in one day in Kenya on the Safari Rally most people will never see in their lives. Which is, like, incredible that these tin cans that are supposed to get us from A to B create these experiences for people well you just nailed it there the, the car <clears throat> it could be it could be a Renault 5 yeah it, would, it shouldn't be in Kenya in fact some dudes did it last year and were they in Renault 4s have Possibly. a look at it anyway the yeah. fastest those cars went during the safari rally were when they on the back of a trailer yeah not surprisingly but the car gives you access or it allows you access to events events create experiences and with those events, you meet great people. Great people, great experience. And yes, great car. Yeah. But a car could be something else if it had to be. Yeah, and to give a bit of insight into the Tacona idea and the brand behind that, it, it's about that. It's about connecting people. It's about creating it, positive experiences and memories. It's, it's about getting people talking to one another. It's all about using cars to create these positive things and these connections and kind of leveraging that in a good way to help people. And my kind of personal experience is drawn from my dad used to take us to Le Mans with all of his car mates. So we would every year, four days off down through France. And it's not, oh, what cars were there? It's, we had a convoy of people that would all meet up and we'd have barbecue and play ping pong. And those are the bits that stick with you. It's not, oh, there was a Ferrari and a Corvette and Porsche. It was, I remember catching lizards in a chateau in the south of France with all this racing car noise in the background. I don't necessarily remember six hours yeah. on the motorway. And cars allow us the kind of the, the access to those memories and create these things that not many other things do for us. It's not like you get that with football or sports in the same way. You're not necessarily having a, like an experience. You're kind of having an event, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you are. But I think the other thing, of course, is that inevitably if you're driving somewhere, um, well, the, the scenery changes. Yeah. Uh, you... Look, driving a car these days is a, is a necessary evil to get places. Um, but even so, whenever you're going somewhere, you're going somewhere, and, and stuff can happen. Yeah. Check yeah. yourself in the middle of Africa. A lot of stuff <laughs> can, can happen. Really happen. Then, from our perspective, because honestly, looking after, look, if you go to if you go to a racetrack and you're looking after some cars, which we do, we, we do loads of racing, and it's it's great. Um, but it's it's quite sanitised. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you do create memories, you do create situations where you have to pull, pull rabbits out of, out of the hat. But in Kenya, if you're running a bunch of 911s, it's permanent juggling. Yeah. And, and if there's one thing I'm good at in life, 
Um, I hope I'm good at it. It's juggling and thinking on my feet, and um, I'm not a great planner. Um, very, very spur of the moment chat. Right, in, yeah. in every sense of the word. And no, I didn't have a plan to get here. Yeah, yeah. Just come in, work like hell, and see where it all, all, all I, I can ends up. completely empathise with that. Like all of this came out of, and I, I've not got much going on, but it's the start of something. It came out of, oh, we'll give that a go. That sounds like fun. Let's have a go at it. Most most good ideas start like that. Yeah, let's, let's see what happens. And I now I have a podcast because I oh let's see what happens. Yeah. A couple of mates and I were sat around after a coffees and cars meet that we started of a let's see what happens. And has now grown to a network of five. It was oh, we'll just record as chatting because we always have interesting car chats. Let's just record it. And now I'm sat in Tuttle Porsche talking with you because of oh, let's see what happens. And it was a message to Laura going, "Does Richard fancy coming on?" She's like, "I've added to his calendar. I'll see you when you get here." Well, funny enough, <laughs> funny enough so that, that's funny because um, trying to manage my time is um, not not easy. Yeah, I'm quite busy. And, um, well, you've already mentioned that we might have to pause this so you can go and test the car before it goes out the door. I've dealt with one of the problems that the <laughs> test is pending. Um, but no, sort of quite busy, generally charging around. And um, so it was a bit of a surprise, this. And I think it happened when Monica was on holiday. Monica's. Um, I have Joe and Monica who sit next to me in my office every day. They're like a life support machine. Right. Anyway, this popped up yesterday. I was like, oh, what's that all about? Of course, I had probably completely forgotten. Which is not unusual. It's not not fair. But um, anyway, look, it's brilliant, and it's nice to nice to chat, nice to meet people, nice to talk about what we do. And I think your um, sort of chat mental health thing uh, is a hugely important thing. I appreciate. It. Um, I'm very open, probably too open. So if if I look at myself and if I've got a problem, and I have many problems. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly, I create them myself. Yeah, yeah. Same. But if I have a problem, then I'm not the type of guy who won't talk to someone. Right. Uh, and then... Uh, but they're, 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 it's a thing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's only when you chat to people you realise what a great bunch of mates you've got and how much everyone cares. And therefore, uh, it's really relevant. Um, I see it with my kids. I've got three kids. The youngest doesn't say anything until, until there's a big problem and it's like, boom, okay. Yeah. Um, middle one, he's like me, very sensitive and chats quite openly. But no, look, it's a good thing. Um, and uh, you've, got to, you've got to lean on your mates at times. Yeah, and I think it's important that as it becomes more commonplace, mental health is getting more exposure and people are talking about it a lot more confidently than they used to. And I think guys in particular are really bad at talking. And I think it comes from we're really bad at recognising what is going on. Like, I don't think many blokes know how to read their own emotions. So it ends up as either anger or sorrow. Like, there's probably a big trail of things that if you knew what to look for, you'd have picked up on and gone, oh, I'm feeling like this because of that. But a lot of guys miss it, and then it ends up as one extreme or the other. It doesn't a problem, yeah. Yeah, and I think as more guys get used to talking a bit more and it becomes a little bit more normal in just conversation to go, oh, I'm feeling a bit crap today. That will hopefully kind of minimise where we can because if it's just part of your day-to-day life or your normal conversation to go, oh, this has really upset me or that's annoyed me or this feels like crap or I'm struggling with this, it kind of minimises the chances of it compounding on top of each other and becoming, as yeah. your youngest will find out, a big problem. <laughs> well, it's a, bit, it's a bit like looking after a safari car. Right. So at the beginning of a rally, the rally, we get, all the, we get all the drivers and co-drivers together and say, listen, chaps, we're going to have some problems. Because it's a safari. Yeah. So yes, we're bloody good at what we do, but we're going to have some problems. And our job is to keep those small problems small. Yeah. So chat to us, tell us what you feel... If you, if you hear a noise, don't just assume that's something. Tell us about it. Yeah. Of course, that means we can keep these problems small. But if you don't tell us, then next thing, bloody wheel will fall off. And you've got a big problem. And you've got a big problem. This and might I, be the best analogy for this I've ever come across. Well, there you go. It's true. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to isolate that bit of audio just to... Yeah, just a nice little soundbite for you there. And, yeah. and I'm now going to pitch something. Okay. Um, I've, got an, I've got an amazing wife. Uh, <laughs> And uh, that's not the pitch. That's not the pitch, I hope. Um, <laughs> I've got a girlfriend on my and, and I've got, I've got a, a great mate uh, who, who does our HR. A great mate does not We all live together at uni. They have just set up a, a, um, a little business called uh, Looking After Me. Right. And we've just introduced it to our business. 
So it's a monthly subscription for all our employees. And part of that is around mental health. Part Amazing. of it's around they have access to a private GP if they're feeling poorly so that we can help them quickly. But also I think, and it's terrible for me to say I think, but we have, they have access to a counsellor a given amount of time per month. Yeah. If, if then that needs further help, then that's the thing. Uh, but the, yeah, the point of the story is it's, a, it's all about trying to provide some support for the amazing people who are out, out beyond those glass doors. Nobody is standing still out there. They are all working it's illegal their to stand off. still. Yeah. I, I was stood on that balcony feeling a bit like conscious that I was not moving enough and working because everybody is on a project. They're working hard. They're either building a very lovely 993 wide body or a big chunky safari car or something, something interesting. But nobody's kind of milling around. And if they are, they're probably hiding because it's very visible out there. Well, there's a, there's a culture in this building which um, is something that almost every single person picks up on. It's quite unique. Uh, and I think it stems from... It's a family business, firstly. Secondly, of course, in our sport, we, we live with each other. We go, whether it's going to Paul Ricard or going to Safari, you spend a lot of time with these guys. Um, and, and girls so you have that level of relationship yeah. but actually um, I really care genuinely about everyone Pro- probably a bit too much one of the problems I was talking to you about today is I, j- I just heard about something going on nothing to do with me actually but I made a couple of phone calls just to check that actually what was going on was correct and was good for everyone yeah. um, the point is there's a really nice um, atmosphere and, and I don't th- you can't create that without um but getting stuck in yourself as as the guy who's Make sure head, on the door. head head all of this up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and unless you're really connected, and the business is growing, and I'm becoming a little bit more disconnected than I was naturally because it's more people. Um, but the, the main thing is, I I come here at eight o'clock every morning. Uh, you were talking about, you know, you look out over the balcony. That scene changes, the colours change, the cars change. Um, the one constant is. I am so lucky to walk into a building with amazing people. Which is a really inspiring thing to, to see kind of cultivated in a, effectively a place of work. Because there's a lot of, coming from personal experience, there's a lot of work places where that doesn't happen. There is a lot of disconnect. There's a lot of, that's your job, just do your job. I'm not interested. As you turn up on time, you do your job, you go home. That's as much as I want to know about you to come into a place where that's not the culture is really inspiring and it it speaks a lot about kind of how much you care about the people that you work with and the environment that you're creating for them. And it's that, a thing. It's a really important thing as well. It's a real thing and it and it again, I say to the clients that we build castle, we're gonna have some problems. It's life's full of problems. Yeah. And it's, so it's about how we go about fixing them. And when you need to fix a problem for a client, for, for, for someone at work, um, you've got to turn to the people who are going to help you do that. And at times, you've got to just get stuck in. And um, I'm fairly well known for getting stuck in. So uh, there's a good bit of video. I don't know whether it's in our Safari film, which we're about to release, but... Well, now I was I'm a, curious to see that when it comes uh, out. You, I'm you, to that. Well, you're invited on the 15th of December. Come and, come and watch it in Banbury with us. I'm there. Good. Bring a mate, bring a girlfriend, whatever you like. I'll bring the Renault. It'd be amazing. Bring the Renault. Um, <laughs> you can but, but I was the first at the scene of a... Um, there'd been a ball joint failure on Philip's car, funny enough, from the front right wheel had fallen off. So I was first at the scene, so Ryan had got the toolbox out. And me and Andrew, actually, who's ops director here, and we mince around in the management car, of course, you know, like managers do. Yeah. Doing nothing. Yeah. Like yeah. usual stuff. Anyway, piled into fixing this car. Um, and then this, the, the, real, the, the real text turned up. And at one point, I'm in the middle of fixing this bloody car, and they're like, do you want us to take over? Said, Absolutely not. No way. This is my job. <laughs> I'm halfway through this now. I've got to Piss see off, it Leave me alone. And by yeah. the way, I'm better, I'm, I'm better at this than you, which I'm not. <laughs> but for that, for that 20 minutes or half an hour, I was just delighted to get, get yeah, all yeah, my sleeves you, up. And, got and that's the culture in the business. So it, it doesn't matter what what you think you're supposed to be doing on a given day, if there's something that really needs attention, 
There is not one person down there I couldn't go and say, hey, give us a hand. We do pretty much operate from eight to five. That yeah. was a mission of mine. Um, because the, the race industry or the motorsport industry has this sort of culture where it's all, hours, it's all bloody all midnight. Yeah. Okay, that's not good. It's not, and it comes back a bit to your, well, a lot to your, um, this lifestyle, mental health, this thing. We come here to work and we've got to go home. We've got to do what we've got to do. As the owner of a business, it's not quite that simple because you tend to work. You're a little bit more vested in... Well, everyone, the point is, if you're growing a business, you've got to put the hours in. Yeah. Um, I think Elon Musk said, uh, if you do a 16-hour day, well, you, you know, you're twice, twice as more efficient as the, the bloke who's doing eight hours a day. Efficient is probably the wrong word, but what he was implying was put the hours in. Yeah. Um, and he's got an incredible work ethic. Um, but that's the point. Uh, these, these guys and girls have got to go home and they've got to have a life. Work's got to be great. Home life's got to be good. And if you get that balance wrong, um, you're, uh, you're in trouble. Oh, my, oh my word. There's a, a poor chassis. I know exactly which one it is. on the back of a... Oh, if Luden Classics is listening, it's on a beaver tail. It's got no wheels, so it's, it's under the weight limit. It's three... <laughs> nice and light. Yeah. No taco. Nothing at all. Love that. There's, uh, there's three quarters of a poor chassis just rolling in. And we're now both stood at the window to look at it. Yeah, that's I, actually really interesting. I'm, I know what it is. Um, so there you when go. When it first came over the, past those trees, I thought it had been on fire. It did look a bit like that. I think it's just been blasted. It's blasted. Um, so no, it's trying to get the balance. And, and I, I say it every time I chat to anyone. Um, amazing bunch of people out there doing great stuff. But I think as a, an employer, recognising that is a really commendable thing for yourself. As a, someone that's been on the receiving end of an expectation and no consideration for personal life to encounter someone going, no, these guys need to be able to switch off and go home. And that's really important. And it's a real kind of testament to you and what you're building here. And I'm sure that all of your guys would appreciate the positive benefits of all that, like whether they acknowledge it or not. No, they they do. Which is great. We're all good. Um, But you have to work at it, by the way. And as I say, the business is getting bigger and I consciously have to remind myself as busy as I am I, I, I need to uh, continually be around be seen and, and try and check in say yeah. hey how are you doing and the other thing is a, as a boss I had it two days ago you have a you have a right to uh, uh, instigate something so I was chatting to John uh, and he was, had some parts delay now I, I know the client and he was waiting for a a question to be answered so he, could, so he could get on. And where I can help is I just said, well, decision made. Yeah. yeah, whatever you want now. Yeah. What about this? What about that? Well, don't worry. I know the context of the whole thing. It's my name above the door. I'll take, you know, I'll take the hit if there's a hit to be taken. Just let's crack on. So actually, that's the other thing. You do pick up all sorts of things, which inevitably, when, when you've got, you know, when you've, you've got, Systems, you've got communication channels that are supposed to be followed. You're going to find some problems. Yeah. Um, they're, never me- they're never that big. And my door is always open. Uh, I might be distracted or busy or... Yeah, the door's um, open, but the man inside isn't paying attention yeah, to the door. Yeah, so, so I think every single person knows if, the, if there's something I can help with, and for God's sake, come and see me. I'd hate to think they wouldn't. Which is really reassuring to hear, and I, hopefully one or two of your guys hear this, and it reaffirms that for them. That you're saying it yourself on, on record. record yeah, look right? I, I, I might regret that, but it's true. No, um, I really, I really mean it. And I would go, I would, um, I would do whatever it takes to to make sure everyone's right in, in, in any sense. So obviously, you said that you're a, a plate spinner, a juggler. You've got all of this that you're. It's growing at the same time as you're managing all of these small problems and keeping everything afloat. How do you kind of personally make sure that you're Keeping on top of yourself. That's the, that's the real challenge. Like, so for me, I, I'm quite new to starting something and running something myself, and I don't do this full-time yet. It's, it's Wednesday is my one day a week that's mine now. Oh, good for you. So that's my first step towards that goal. And I've had to really kind of consciously think about how I kind of manage my time and what I do in my time where I'm not working to make sure that I'm okay, basically. Like... I've bought an alarm clock and I leave my phone not within reach of the bed so that I get up with the alarm clock and I don't start my day immediately. Uh, good shout. Yeah, I should probably do that. I'm, 
I say I do this, I fall off that wagon so quickly. Of course you do. And yeah. then you fight to get back on again. But it's stuff like that that really helps to... Because if you aren't capable of getting out of bed and doing the stuff that you need to do, this whole business is then at jeopardy. Like, so what are you doing yourself to, to make sure that Richard gets up in the morning and comes to work? Well, we had a, an amazing client called Desi Nutt who um, passed away last year. He's, I don't know how many British championships he won with us, but he's an amazing chap. He was a GP. Okay. He was definitely a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do. So I've got lots of good advice for people. Yeah. Um, I am sort of trying to work on all of that because it is important. And, you know, I'm at a phase of my life where kids are growing up. Um, so we've been charging around building a business, raising kids, doing all sorts of things. And the, the business has got to a critical point now where actually I can not be here. I mean, I am always here, but I can not be here. And I've now got to get used to, I've got to give myself permission right. to not be here. Yep. And, and I'm, so one change, which is pretty obvious, is I used to be first here, last to leave. I would lock the door yep. and probably open it the next morning. And I found it very, very difficult to justify leaving before anyone else. I found it very difficult to delegate. I found it very difficult to not be stood next to the car that was being built. Yep. And making sure that I was involved. And to a certain extent, I had to, when a business is small, you have to be involved in all of that because that's, that's what you do. So I've sort of given my permission just to, just to be a bit more selfish. Uh, and that's been going for a couple of years. And the only way you can do that is by having, comes back to brilliant people and I have now got brilliant people. I've always had brilliant people, but I've allowed them to take it on. Yep. And inevitably, um, they're going to make some mistakes. I've made and continue to make loads. But that's the biggest thing. It's giving yourself permission. So I don't need to justify to anyone anymore why I'm not in the office. Yeah, yeah. And what I do when I'm out of the office, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm always... I find it quite hard to switch off from work. Yeah. I can switch off, but my point is, what they see me do here every day is only part of what I actually do. So if I'm out at a dinner or on an event, events are hard work because I'm usually socialising every evening, which sounds great. It's actually quite tiring. It's bloody tiring. Yeah. Like, so I don't, I don't... Look, I've put the hours in, is what I'm saying. It, you've done your 40 hours... You've done 80 hours a week yeah. for 10 years, so now you can do 20 yeah. hours for five. Yeah, I wish, I wish. <laughs> Day I get to a 20-hour week would be a great day. But the point is, um, you've got to give yourself that permission. So just as you've got to say, okay, you're going to take this Wednesday off to do this, and, and whatever your other four days are on your weekend, you can, you can decide. But the, you've got to give yourself that permission, and you've got to be very comfortable with, with you. And I think that's the biggest thing. And it's very difficult, yeah. given um, everything we have to absorb if we choose to on social media and all of this stuff going on, you just got to be all right being you, and that's that's not easy. It's a, a continuous project. It's not a oh, I know who I am, done. Yeah. It's a, an evolving situation all the time. And as you say with social media, it makes it harder because you go on and you see what someone else is doing. Oh, don't like, get me started. Oh, I'm now comparing yeah. myself to that, and it's a real. It takes a lot of mental effort to to kind of disengage from that mindset. Like there's a a guy that's doing a mental health clothing, and it's not cars or anything like that, but he. he he started before me and he's a bit further ahead than me. And his adverts pop up all the time. It drives me insane because I'm like, oh, here's his advert. And he's got like a warehouse full of stock. I'm like, I've got a cupboard in my office at home that's full of all stock. And the beauty of what I'm doing is a lot of my stuff is made to order. So I don't, don't need loads of stock about. But then I see that and I'm like, oh, he's way better than I am. That's and you the then point. just draw these parallels and it's really bad for you because then I'm demotivated. Even though I shouldn't be. Like, it doesn't matter what he's doing. I should be doing what I'm doing. You, you've got to pay attention a little bit to what the market's doing and, uh, and the industry you're in. Of course you have. But um, look, I live in Wardington. Yeah. Okay. And a long time ago, a very long time ago, I worked out that if I, do, if I work hard, if I'm honest, and I just continue to plug away uh, and do some great stuff, things are going to be all right. It's a really big world. And, um, and so I don't really mind what anyone else is doing. I pay a little bit of attention. I'm not on social media. 
one of the reasons is because, um, as you've just said, if you go onto Instagram every morning, you're going to see someone building a better 911, doing a better trip, doing whatever. Now, the fact is, thankfully, in our position, we're real. We've been doing it for... We, my father, and then subsequently me, have been doing this stuff for a long time. We don't have to generate stories because they're real. The point is, just do what you do well. Yeah. Be honest and work hard and you're going to be all right. And don't worry about what everyone else to do because actually can't really affect it. No, you then just worry twice. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's a continuous effort to, to have that mindset and to work at that mindset and to, to listen to those words and actually practice those words. It's the same as me with my bloody alarm clock. Yeah, you should have an alarm clock. You should leave your phone downstairs and make a coffee in the morning and read a magazine and not touch your phone at all. And then two days later, I'm on Instagram at six o'clock in the morning because I got a notification. And it's very easy to go, this is what you should do. And then it takes time and patience and discipline to to practice those words. Yeah, there's a balance because um, being spontaneous at some points is really, really good for you because it's exciting and it gives you a buzz. But there's a certain point where you you should just... um, keep everything at arm's length but it's a challenge but it's a bloody good one and it uh, sounds like you're fortunate to be doing something you're passionate about I'm um, I've really uh, really very very lucky to be doing what I'm doing and um, finally and it's taken a very long time yeah I can sort of relax and say okay well I can't be that bad at this I must be alright someone's liking what I'm doing yeah no there's some where we're sitting is not a bad place and it's something that um, you haven't been to there's some older buildings and there's another new building because I've just built another one. Right. But um, you, you sort of need to understand the context because um, one, of the, one of the big things when we moved into this building is, A, it gave me huge anxiety because I was like, bloody hell, this is a thing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas we've been in, in old sheds, smaller sheds, where it's not massively apparent. And then you meet clients who've known you for 30 years. They come to the new building. They look at you differently. And the world looks at you differently. Um, and that's not really fair because we're the same guys. We're just now wrapped just up in, in a, a lovely bigger, building. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really interesting, actually, that the impact that that has. And um, uh, it's, it's critical that whatever you do in life or in your business, that you present yourself really, really well. Um, and I, my, I would advise anyone to, to um, really think about first impressions. The moustache is for Movember, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, that's good. Okay, just checking. Um, There's glad, one on the front of the car. That glad glad you pointed that yeah. out. That's the thing. I'm I can't grow. I can't. I can't. Um, I look in the mirror. I don't. I don't know how many days I'm in. <laughs> I've got a little bit of something, but that's probably. So this is a month. I ex- so I went to do this at the start of the I had a proper beard. And I thought I'll trim it down to this. And I went a bit too far. And you can't stop. You have to take it all off then. You, okay, nobody's yeah, thinking then you're looking like Charlie Chaplin yeah, when you turn up with that. Yeah, you just look like an arse, yeah. Yeah. So I had to take it all off. So this is one month. I was aiming to start at this and grow from here because then I can twist it at the end and I look like a proper knobhead. You're going to run out of time. It's the end, isn't it? Yeah, I know. I've, I've missed my shot this, this year. But it's for charity. It's, it's for a good I can't cause. grow a moustache and I can't grow a beard <laughs> and I won't try. The, boy, the boys actually, again, 15th of December when you come and look at our movie, watch our movie with us. Speak to Laura about that. Just get that all sorted. Yeah, of um, course. Uh, you're going to see some proper moustaches and, and I think beards because it's become a thing um, that the boys sort of all grow something before they head out and it <laughs> yeah, becomes yeah. a thing and um, Philip Kadori uh, joins in and I think at a certain point during the rally you can't even look at him he looks bloody <laughs> awful um, um, but, but it, no it's the thing well done you it's, it's it is important as you say with first impressions and presenting yourself in a manner for other people to to kind of get to grips with you quite quickly. Like, yeah, it does last. There is this, oh, don't do your book by cover, but there is a certain amount of first impressions count and they do last and it's, it's important to be conscious of that as you go about day-to-day life. Like, just wearing these jeans with a slight turn-up, I'm always conscious, like, oh, am I going to look like an absolute knobhead? <laughs> and it's, well, I, I'd just rather be myself than Well, good for you, and I think, again, that's another... Another. Good for me because I look like a knobhead. Is that where we're going? I don't, I don't think that's what I said. I mean, I might have thought it, but I didn't say it. But the, again, comes back to being comfortable in your own skin. Uh, and I, I, you, you haven't seen my father, but he's just driven past. Is that he was in the that horrible Audi? Oh, right, no. Right, so, so I got a lift back with him from our Christmas do last night. Well, I couldn't really sit anywhere because I didn't want to sit anywhere because it was so filthy. Um, he's an absolute pikey in that sense. Um, he wears overalls every day 
uh, and he doesn't really care. Yeah. He's happy in his own skin. Um, and actually, everyone loves him for it. So, again, it's the thing where you've got to try and get to that point. My brother is the same. He's remarkably unbothered by what anyone thinks of him. Mm. And um, I wish I had a little bit more of that in me. I think there's a balance to that. Um, are you needing to go and drive this Go car? drive a car. Let me Do you want to come? I would love to come. I'm going to pause come this. Okay, so at this point, Richard and I have gone for a drive. Now, I think it's a nice moment to kind of explain what that experience was like because it's not something that many people will get to do. It's not something that will happen very often for those that do get to have a go. And it's really an experience that's worth talking about because Richard has arguably put more miles on Porsches than anybody else on the planet. He does the ice racing and the safaris and rally driving and track driving and all sorts of different things with these cars and he's at a point where he effectively speaks a different language when it comes to driving a 911 because it's not the same as when I go and drive my car Richard is feeling things and having different inputs and reading different situations from the car that you really have to have a huge level of knowledge and experience to be able to do that and it is like speaking a different language. It is like he can communicate with that car in a way that I can't understand. The same way that two people speaking German are to me in a room. I can't understand what they're saying. I could probably pick up a word here or there, but I cannot speak that language. And Richard is a master of that language. We were having a full conversation where he was explaining what he was picking up from the different parts that they changed and tinkered with and how the alignment needed slightly tweaking by a couple of degrees because he could feel this and he could he could sense that when he was getting the feedback through the wheel and through the seat and it really was awe-inspiring to to be in a car with someone that knows what they're doing and how to drive and what they're feeling and every aspect of what's going on so coherently and was able to translate that to idiot language for me so that I had some idea as to what was happening and what he was feeling. So it really was a, a moment to take in and a, a memory that will really carry with me for some time. And I thought it was worth sharing that. It, it's not something that many people will get to experience, and I'm very grateful that I did. Um, so with that, let's carry on with part two. Okay, I've restarted, but we can get back up to speed. I can't remember where we got to, other than we're going to go and drive a Porsche. Okay, good start. Um, that's where we stopped, and it was quite a fun drive of a Porsche. I'm not going to lie, that was quite a, a nice experience for a Wednesday morning. Wasn't expecting that. Uh, no, well, it's um, um, all part of the um, part of the daily routine. I mean, I need to incorporate that into my daily routine. I think uh, it certainly does get uh, get the blood flowing. <laughs> well, there's one place in uh, if you want to relax. Right in life, this uh, this is Another the best, bite. most relaxed state you'll ever find me in. Is uh, on a rally stage, okay, probably in Kenya. Yeah, in a nine eleven. That sounds a, pretty perfect. Utter a space of peace and gloriousness. Yeah. So yeah, that's if you if you want to, don't bother with yoga. Buy a 911 Safari car and take it to Kenya. Yeah, I mean, it's a rally. So every two years you get a bit of relaxation. Slightly less handy than looking down to the local <laughs> village hall and joining in on some class. But no, honestly, it's it's the most peaceful. It's the most peaceful place to be. Do you get that as a sense of almost like, not to be that wanky, but like Zen, where you're in the moment and you're yeah, whatever Zen, whatever zen means. But it, it's, yeah. it's literally you, the car, a road. And no um, phone signal, nothing. You're just, it's just so pure. Yeah. So when you're putting together your safari trip, where do you start? What's the, the process of, right, we've got safari coming, go. <laughs> what, what are we doing? Shit. Yeah. Um, no, what I, what I do is I turn to my right and I say to Joe, what, right, what do we on, do? Come on, <laughs> let's, let's get going. And then Joe speaks to Andrew. We all probably sit in a room, and and it and it just comes back to a combination of bloody brilliant people yeah. going and doing their jobs really, really well in a in a really joined up way. Where um, Andrew and I 
really nailed it, if I, if I can be that brave. 2013, I think we did 17 cars. Wow, Big, amazing. Biggest, biggest single rally team ever run. Mm. Uh, in the hardest event that you can take on. We actually had an off-site meeting, which is, if you, if you want to use the word wanky, there's another wanky thing to go and do. <laughs> but we went off-site once a week. We either had a drink in a pub or, or a lunch or whatever it was. And um, I knew that if we got that wrong, it would be commercial suicide because everyone looking and go, well, that was bloody stupid. What were you thinking? Yeah. So we came up, obviously it's evolved from five cars to seven to 11 to whatever, you know, and then it, and then it got to 17 and it went down a bit and it's gone up a bit. And I think uh, 23 will be bigger again. Um, 23 for 23? No, that, w- that would be brave. I'm, I'm targeting, I'm not targeting anything actually, just to be there would be great, but I think there's a chance of 20 cars, we'll see. Um, but the reality is it, it's a very, very well-oiled system now. Yeah. And, um, and everyone has to do their bit from the, you know, from the stores, the guys in the stores, led by Bernie, Bilbo, um, etc. You know, uh, Craig came, came on the event for the first time. They've got to get all their bits right. It, it's just a, an army of people. Yeah. And it's really nice. We sort of gather the same bunch every couple of years, meet in Mombasa and, and go to work. And it, it's not like going to work in the same sense of you're not checking emails. And it's like going to war. Yeah. <laughs> it's worse than work. No, it isn't. It's, um, I do, I, I'm not very good on email anyway. You're great on WhatsApp, though. Love a, love a WhatsApp, <laughs> love a voice note on WhatsApp, which winds everybody up. But you oh, can, I you, am the worst. You can speed them up. I know, yeah. I'm still the worst. Like, I'll be sat there and someone will send me a voice note. I'm like, I'm doing something that I can't yeah. be listening to your voice right now. Just send me a message and I can re- read you know it. They've got, you know they've got an unread thing now. Yeah, so you, you can, can bring them it. all the top. Yeah. Can you mark them unread? I think you can, yeah. Oh, that's genius. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double check now. I'm sure you can mark That's messages. another life-changing moment, if that's the thing. I know you can bring them up. You can, you can see all your unread messages. So, I, I think if you swipe right, oh, you my can mark word. unread. Okay, so if nothing else comes out of this podcast... I've taught Richard Tuttle how to mark unread on what... You've just changed my life. Bloody you yeah, you showed me what actual driving looks like, and I've shown you how to mark a message in red. <laughs> I've come back from that, that passenger ride in the, uh, in the 993 with you, praying to God that you don't ever get behind the wheel of my GT86, because I've probably ruined it. And you'll go, you've ruined this car. Whereas in my head, I'm like, oh, I, I know it's quirks, and I know that the back feels a little bit loose, and I don't really know why, but it does. <laughs> And then you'll go, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You've ruined it with those coilovers. You've not done this right. And then I'll just feel sad because I won't have the money to make it as good as that Porsche. Well, <laughs> let me just, let me just um, put you at ease. Uh, if the engine's in the front... Yeah, it's for the wrong car. I'm going to really struggle to give you a view. I did, dro- uh, I did drive a Cobra around Silverstone. I did a race in a Cobra with a really good friend of mine, Richard Cook. Um, that was amazing. I didn't drive it until qualification, never driven one before. Right. Um, it worked out. Brilliant thing, but my brain is totally wired yeah. to the engine in the back. Yeah. So I'm a bit tight. It was really evident from our little drive because we were chatting away and you're doing all these like corrections and feeling of the road and positioning and all of that completely in comfort. And you're going, oh yeah, this feels like this because of this and this. And, this. and you were kind of, you were able to describe every little bit of what the car was telling you as though you were just talking a language with the car. Yeah, it's... it's, it's um, uh, you effect, We went and you had a conversation with an old, an old 911, is what just happened. It wasn't it, a, we went for a drive. It was, I'm going to go and have a conversation with this car to learn more about it. Yeah, pretty much that's what it is, and I'm obviously, obviously in them all the time. Um, the 911 still is the most stimulating car you can drive, uh, mentally. Yeah. So it asks you a question every single corner, and you've got to answer it. Right. So your lovely car given it how it's configured and anything of that ilk. You know, you can master them pretty quickly. Um, and they're good fun, don't get me wrong. But 911 is, is a, a little bit more of a challenge mentally to, to understand. And um, once you understand it, and, and I don't need to tell you this, but I think it's probably why the 911 is... Is it the most successful... It's probably the most successful sports car. Sports car in history, of course yeah. it is. I mean, they've um, probably built more than any other sports car. Maybe the Corvette in terms of numbers sold. Yeah, um, um, but that's just because Americans all love a Corvette. It's not because well, it's I a mean, great. Car. They do everything in huge quantity, obviously. Um, no, anyway, look, I, I, um, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be in any other car really. 
Well, it's quite good in a front-wheel drive car. Quite like love a front-wheel drive car. I'm going to get you out of my Renault because then you really will have to work to get that thing to go anyway. <laughs> had a Fiat 500 for, for a while. That's a rear-engine car. Yeah. yeah. And a proper 500, not a new one. Yeah, proper yeah. little 500. So that was, that was off-brand. And I had a Citroen Safari Estate, which I shouldn't really have had, but I quite liked it for a bit. That's very cool, though. Very cool. 1964, right-hand drive. I don't think you could get much more like out there in terms of a car than a 1964 right-hand drive Citroen Safari. Built-in slough, um, hydrostatic suspension, unbelievable. But I had a bit of a fetish for Citroens because I drove one in Morocco once and I thought our Safari suspension was good. And then these dudes had tuned their Citroen to the point where it was just like a magic carpet. And it had a Maserati engine in it, which some of them did. Yes, some of them did. They had... oh. My knowledge isn't good enough to be able to say anything confidently, so I'm going to say nothing at all. <laughs> Same as mine then. Yeah, I, but I, that is a thing that I have heard and been told before, so I'm going to say yes to. They made a short, they made a short one, they chopped the back off it. I don't know what it's called. Anyway, bloody cool. It's a, it's a thing that, so I effectively learn stuff that I'm involved with. I don't really read too far out of what I'm doing. Yeah. So it's one of those where when I encounter it, I learn about it and then I retain that. But if I haven't encountered it, it's a peripheral knowledge. It's one of those, like, it falls within, I like cars, not a, I'm specifically knowledgeable of this car. Like, I'm learning more about Renault 5s now that I've got one. I didn't really know that much about them up until ownership of one and having to learn the differences to find parts for it, essentially. Because you can't get parts. There were two models of Renault 5 and the Ooh. first one had a longitudinal engine and the one I've got has a transverse engine so the parts are all different so you have to learn all this stuff so that you make sure that you buy the right parts because I bought the wrong clutch cable because of all of that so well I don't I don't know how the world um, I don't know how these multi make businesses manage mm. because we learn something new every day here and we just and it's just Porsches we just mess around with 911s yeah. yeah well there's a 914 down there which is not yeah, quite GT your, body um it's on cool, Fuchs cool, as well. Cool Very thing. cool. But yeah. two seven RS engine in it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's an absolute missile. Uh, well, it's not quite what you think. Again, it just comes back to how, how bloody good an I eleven is. But it's it's a cool car. I drove it yesterday. Just another part of your daily routine. Uh, driving s- all the cool cars. S- signing it off <laughs> yeah. um, to, to be delivered. But yeah, wonderful thing. So we we touched on on our little drive out. The more that this place is growing, the less. It's not a case of every single car you drive as it leaves the door. There's now a few too many for you to be able to do that. Is that something that you're learning to get better at signing off without actually being the final driver before it gets put in the trailer? Typically, there's a process where someone signs it off before I finally sign it off. So that saves me some time. Um, And look, every significant car, of course, I spend a lot of time in. But um, And Paul, who runs the... Service workshop. So, you know, we'll have stuff here for a day, a couple of days. It's very common that I'll just jump in a, in a car and drive yeah. it. And, and in some cases, I might drive it before we start on it so I can give, give the guys a heads up. But um, testing cars is quite specialist. Yeah. Um, and uh, you don't have to drive like Uluvin, you just have to um, do three miles on the right road and. You get. Well, this is what you said. You, there's at. a three mile circuit that we did, and you can test whether the steering alignment's right, test whether the, the rear diff feels right, test whether the the, uh, the power is coming in at the right levels and things yeah. like that. And it was all within a three-mile loop. It wasn't like, oh, we're off to Myra for the day to get on the adverse canvas and all that sort of stuff. It was that intuitive nature that you've got from spending all of this time around these cars and using them at 10 tenths in yeah, the right Yeah, it does help. And I think, like look, the, the motorsport element of any business... Uh, particularly rallying, gives you a different perspective on a few things. I think it's a real strength. Yeah. And um, we've always been known for building great driving cars, and that's why uh, you know, the car we were just in, we're, we're making roads now to, to creating even better road cars than we used to, which are trimmed beautifully. And you know, there's, a, there's a general push in the business to, to do more with that, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun for you. Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great. And, and that, what's lovely, it, um, and Again, a bit selfish is most of these ideas are mine. So if I want a car, I'm now confident that if I want one and I can produce a car that I want, then there'd be a few people out there who'd probably say, yeah, I'll have one of them as well. So yeah. Um, one like. of the car that obviously is at a lot of people's attention level is the Singer 
Dakar monster that's sitting in reception. Yeah. What was your, not necessarily how did that come about, obviously Singer are very good and you're very good and it's a, a natural, oh, good, let's good take the top of the game. Yeah. But how did you find that in terms of an, a different kind of challenge? It's not quite the same as your normal Safari 911s. No, it was a, it was a, it's a dream project for a guy like me who's um, done so much rallying and you know, produced more rally cars than anyone else in the world. Mm. So to produce a car for an amazing client uh, with the best designers in the business, car designers in the business, I mean, they're extraordinary singer. Uh, added to that, the regs that we built the car to were loosely around Baja, and there are no regs for Baja. Mm. So it was a bit of a blank canvas, and um, one of the greatest things I've ever had the privilege of being involved in. Have you had much time in it? Uh, yeah, 2,000 kilometres, testing in snow, cool. on a beach, in the forest. Pretty thorough test, that, to be fair. Yeah. I don't think you could find many more environments to try it in. No, we wanted to go in the proper desert, but it was, it was, travel was restricted at that time. One day I'll drive it in the desert. But, um, well, if yeah, you get your hands on one of the new Dakars, you could take that one along and I've do side one. by side. Oh, nice. I've never bought a new car. They're <laughs> um, all 50 years old. Uh, yeah, um, and that's just an amazing thing for our business and, and for everyone in our business that Porsche have just gone to the world. Hey, by the way, we used to go rallying. So I'm interested in the car for lots of reasons, but if there's one car this business should have under its wing, yeah, it's one of them. Well, it, it opens up a potentially new car market in that sense, doesn't it? It's probably going to bring people from an area that might not have been in, engaged. Not everybody... There are some morons out there that don't appreciate an old 911. And that's not me being personally critical there. On a technical level, there's a lot to appreciate about an old 911. But yeah. it opens a door to these people that are new car interested, might actually want to do a bit more than just buy a, a car and drive it as it was. Or they might want to speak to a specialist about how to fully engage with that new car or how to even drive the thing. Yeah, I think, I think again, it's not, not a massively strategic decision. But um, and Porsche won't make any difference whether I, I buy one or not to them. Mm. They've, they've sold them three times over. Yeah. Um, so I'm quite lucky to get one. Um, my first drive will probably be down a forest stage in it. Which would be an incredible... You should film that. I think I, we probably I will. just got this car. Let's <clears> go and take it through some woods. Got my new car. Um, look, no doubt they... It, it, it won't have tremendous capability, we know that. It's a heavy uh, four-wheel drive, road-going 911 with some bits on it. It's a modern car. But it'll be brilliant, yeah. and I can't wait to drive it. And uh, I still, everything they do is really good. I've, we're doing a project with a PDK gearbox at the moment, so I'm driving a 991 Turbo. I don't see the point of a 991 Turbo S, I, don't, I can't even imagine. Um, but what a brilliant car. Right. Um, as a... As a as a weapon to get from A to B nice and efficiently. Um, suspension can be better at slow speed. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit uncomfortable, but then I always say that because I like a soft car. Right. So, no, look, of course, what they're doing is amazing. And, and as I say, it's their first recent attempt at something that was Rally Heritage, and we've got the, we've got the original... We've got a 911 in, in the container here, which was the first 911 ever to have Rothmans. Stripes painted on That's it. the first one with Rothwell. Well, I reckon. I mean, that's right. what I'm saying. Whether it is or not, I don't know. But let's just say it is. I'm hardly the expert to be able to challenge da- you on it. Dad did it himself. Um, ahead the of paint. The, <laughs> yeah, did it the brushes out. and Did it himself. Right. As but he used a spray gun. But, um, and it was for, for a promotional tool for David Richards when he was pitching the Rothmans deal. So, look, who knows? Cool thing. And um, it'll be some fun. And no doubt some business will come as a result of it. But that's about as strategic as I'll ever get. Well, you've already said you don't do planning. So we can expect about that level. Got to have probably one. Bring quite a lot. Can I have one? Yeah. And then, um, God, I, don't even know, I don't even know when it's coming. I've got to spec it. Um, I've never done that before. Um, I'm sure it will be. Hopefully it will be interestingly spec'd. Actually, I don't think it will. I think it'll just be white and, <laughs> and just a car. Right, you're not um, going to go, let's make it vibrant green and... No, I think... I mean, look, if I was thinking about future sales value, there's probably a whole load of people I should speak to and get some advice, but actually, uh, I just want one. Yeah. To, to go and have a go in it um, and to learn a bit. 
Well, at least if it's white, you can put some Rothmans livery on it if you fancy. It's whatever you want, can't yeah, you? Yeah, it's a completely blank canvas. But they come, they, they come from the factory painted, uh, which is almost all of our schemes are now painted. It's a, it's a thing. But um, I don't want to be driving around in a... <laughs> Rothmans, Rothmans brand new car, I think. Dakar. <laughs> I think, uh, uh, given... given, given uh, how I drive at times, I don't think that would be a very, very good idea. But That's the thing that I've had to learn now that my yeah, your car's plastered in stuff. Yeah, which I've done myself. I'm quite happy with. No, it's brilliant. But yeah. I'm just saying, you, you know, everyone knows where you live. Well, I, I live in a relatively quiet place, so you have to actually follow me home to find out where I live. And they'd be pretty sure there's only one of those cars around there. Yeah, but I have had to learn how exposed I am. Yeah. So we were coming, we went to Cyprus in September. And we got home, we're on the motorway, just in an average speed zone doing 60, where the half's fast asleep. And the typical middle lane people were being typical middle lane people. And through the average speed zones, it seems to get more prevalent, which is weird, because everyone's stuck in the same configuration, so you might as well keep left. So I, I must have casually just been doing 60 in lane two and passed someone doing 59 in lane three. And my phone is my sat-nav, so it pinged, little email pings, and it's my website's contact us feature. And by this point, my other half's woken up. I was like, I've just had a contact us thing pop up, but you just open it for me. Your, your driver's just come speeding past me. Oh. And oh, proper, like, really having a go. And I was like, how? We're stuck in an average yeah. speed zone. I can't be speeding anywhere. Well, it's the perception of people see, people see a car like yours, and actually people see a, a rally car or a 911, and they... They, they look fast. So they assume still. you're going quickly. Well, and, you know, there's, there's no doubt a bit of them. Um, there's something else to it in terms of they're just miserable. I don't know. Oh, it was an old lady in a Hyundai Getz. Bless her. Well, or whatever it was. Because um, I, I, I asked for camera footage so I could find out who... Oh, let us investigate. Please send me video footage from your dash cam. I haven't got a dash cam. I mean, I, Hyundai i whatever it was. It's like, great. I didn't reply, but like the part of me was like, great, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, leave me alone. No, well, look, it's, um, we have to be very respectful of who we're driving with and who we're sharing the road with. Occasionally we get it wrong. Um, yeah, and everybody's perfect. Got to uh, keep it real. But we can both agree that third lane drivers are absolute knobheads. And middle lane drivers. Yeah, and... I very briefly suggested the idea that we just start a rumour that the new smart motorways can pick up if you're doing that and hopefully that will encourage people to move do it, out do of the it, way. Do it. It'll change, change our motorway driving lives. We'll be getting there quicker, safer and using less fuel. And we'll all be less angry, which will be better for us. Because um, it um, really boils my blood. If they concentrated <laughs> on that and less on I don't know what else, I think they um, wouldn't have to build so many roads. That's hey, another good point to that argument as well. Um, we're probably around 50 minutes to an hour or so, which is quite a nice number to, to get to in a conversation. And I'm very conscious that you're very busy. <laughs> There's about 4,000 different cars that need attention. In terms of what is happening at Tuttle and what direction things are moving in, as a kind of a closing thing, where is it going and where can we keep track? Uh, we're definitely... Turning our attention to, to um, a road car, a road car division, yep. which is going to be quite targeted. Um, I have got a, an idea that I'm still pursuing, which will, which will change the way that we look at and that we go about buying these these hot rod, whatever we want to call, special, you know, modified, whatever we're calling them. These cars. I, I'm working on something there. Um, that's really exciting. But fundamentally, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. We're going to continue to come in every day and dream up good ideas, which will change yeah. by the day. And, um, and the core, the core uh, DNA will remain is that we build cars that are supposed to be used, and therefore our events business will expand. Yeah. We're fully booked in Sweden for our ice driving this year. Um, that's grown over the last... 16, 17 years. That looks like incredible fun as well. Yeah, it's amazing. It's the place to be. Um, but again, it's all been done very organically. Uh, Safari con- continues to be a halo event. Um, we're, running our, we're running our own rally for the very first time amazing. in Sweden, 
March, March the 7th, I think. So we're going to have 15, 20 clients. All our clients, our rally, our rules, our format. Because I think rallying ought to be done um, differently for these, for these lovely clients. I think we can have more fun. Um, so we're, we're launching that, and hopefully that will become a series of events all over the world. Amazing. But I think the, the future of driving um, is around events, is around people, is around experiences. Yeah. Uh, so we're just continue chipping away, and and um, uh, you know, like everything, see, see where we end up. But there's loads of exciting stuff. Business is growing, great people involved in it, and um, I just got to keep keep pushing on, I guess. Well, I think that's probably a perfect way to to wrap up. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, uh, I'll click stop if I can find the right button. <laughs>